Welcome to the Upland Nation podcast. I'm Scott Linden, your host. Uh, thank you for joining me. Glad you could be with us. Should be an interesting show. We're going to do a little bit of experimenting. I have my first in-studio guest, my good friend and hunting buddy, Tom Jenkins, will be joining me. He's a big game hunter and a bird hunter, and we're going to learn a little bit about how the two intersect when it comes to, well, hunting strategy, among other things. We'll also debrief a few of the recent chucker and quail hunts that he and I have been on together. Yeah, make some notes. Maybe you'll learn something from Tom or find something to laugh at from me. It's all coming up right here on the Upland Nation podcast, as well as a few other things that might interest you, including your colleagues' last hunts. I asked for some summaries and some, well, highlights, and I got some great ones to share with everybody. The Upland Nation Puzzler returns with a prize that Chief Upland Hunting Vest is on offer right now, and it's all made possible by Roughland Performance Kennels. Happy Jack dog care products, pointer shotguns, Dr. Tim's natural performance dog food, and welcome to our newest sponsor, Mid Valley Clays, your online shotgun shopping resource. We're also brought to you in part by Sage and Breaker gun care products crafted at the highest caliber. Have you been following Fred Bohm's posts? The guy is living the dream. Check it all out at sageandbreaker.com. That's also where you sign up for the mailing list. You'll get first notice of all the new products coming down and first notice of the very rare sales that take place at sageandbreaker.com. And uh, Tom just left with... um, with some shotguns that I was lending him, he is thinking about going to the dark side and joining us in the over and under world. So uh, I suggested, of course, my good friends at Pointer Shotguns. You can learn more at LegacySports.com. New on the agenda there, some of the Cerakoted Acreous over and unders in olive drab, gray, and bronze. Yeah, that's right. Make a fashion statement while you're chasing birds. It's all at LegacySports.com. Just click on the pointer shotgun tab. We're live. So, so everybody, um, this is a first for a lot of reasons. Uh, the first time I've actually had somebody in the room with me to do this, which is fine, kind of fun in itself. Also, it's fun to have somebody who I hunt with periodically who's got some great stories and some advice as well for us. So welcome, Tom Jenkins, to the Upland Nation podcast. How are you doing? I'm doing great. It's just great to be in the Upland studio here in, in <laughs> Oregon. Yeah, here we are in Bend, Oregon, instead of some little town or worse, smaller. Uh, I'm not saying little towns are worse, Um, but but we are here in 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 a a real city, and but you know we've known each other for quite a while. In fact, our friend Rich just left, but the first time I met you, you brought Rich along, and just for background, why don't you tell us that story? Yeah, actually, I. I saw your show on on YouTube or on the Outdoor Channel, and you had a little 
snippet in there i can't remember which dog at this time because there's been so many but neither can i that looks like central oregon's backyard so i did a message to you through facebook and come to find out that we were sort of neighbors that we lived in the same town so we kind of reached out had a beer and found out we both had kind of wire hairs and some interest and uh it kind of started from there so yeah and uh since then we've hunted several times together you've shown me some spots i think i've reciprocated once or twice maybe um and some of the some of the things that stick in my mind are the fact that you bring in a a big game hunter's perspective to all this and in fact thank you because i just sent off a story to gundog magazine that alludes to that a little bit but um but how did you get started in the bird hunting world so i have maybe a little typical um my grandfather so i was raised in uh central california and i have an uncle that's four years younger than me so my grandfather was actually young enough to be my dad and uh, my dad was actually not in the picture so he would take uh, me and my uncle up to our cousins who have three thousand acres of uh private land in the san joaquin valley and we would do the opener dove hunt and the opener pheasant hunt and i got to walk at like nine years old with my bb gun through the cotton rows chasing pheasants and standing next to grandpa shooting bb's at passing doves yeah <laughs> so that was kind of my start into the quote upland no dogs involved at any time of this at that part but uh yeah i was pretty much raised by grandpa to have that love for the outdoors um, fishing and hunting and so i i'm pretty fortunate you are you're lucky you had somebody doing that for you i had a boy scout leader that got us involved in that somebody everybody has somebody if they try it a little bit but you 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 know when when you first mentioned this a long time ago I was intrigued by the fact that in the Central Valley in California at that time, the pheasants were running around in the cotton fields. It was, so this, I'd hate to give my age here, but uh, this is somewhere back in the late 60s, early 70s. And it was, I've not hunted South Dakota, but that's what it reminds me of because we would drive those fields. And when we get to the end, it was just melee. (laughs) but it was sugar beets it was cotton it was alfalfa fence rows and now i don't know if you can find a bird in that same area anymore because they've cleaned up the they just don't have the habitat anymore it it's all of that and more if anybody has the answer to that question where did all the california pheasants go please send me an email i have a good buddy down there that um uh has been hunting pheasants since he was probably 11 years old and uh they've just vanished off the face of the earth down there and nobody will give him an answer i've talked to people all over the country about what's happening to california and and nobody will tell me the truth if there is a truth yeah it's it's kind of sad well on a lighter note um I was one place you were another place this past week um believe it or not we both had cell phone service which was remarkable in itself considering where you were and where i was but you called me from a place and i just want you to describe the general feeling of this place don't give anybody a latitude and longitude but but 
you were um, after Chuckers, and how did you get to that place and describe the place once you got there? Well, from Bend, every Chucker hunts at least a three-hour drive east for if it's anything worth its salt. So let's just say I was about three and a half hours east of Bend. Okay. That's as specific as we'll get. But I have a hunt in this area where um, it's about a 15-mile loop, and it's about six and a half hours of hard walking on up and down and lots of typical chucker rocks and screet. But uh, I think I counted, we got into about a dozen coveys of chucker in six hours. So, and we would have had a full bag if uh my shooting would have been a little bit more on par but uh ruby my wire hair is faithful to uh find birds for me it's just whether or not i can uh i kind of get the you know you do the shot and then she comes back and looks at me like waiting for that word dead bird yeah if i don't say it i kind of get the stare down like what the heck yeah i know that look um and uh if you are listening really carefully you can hear ruby in the background gnawing on flick's chew toy oh here she comes now hey girl yeah <laughs> so flick's gonna be mad the next time he's in the office yeah, with me jealous. but but he'll he'll get over it too because he likes ruby and they they hunt together pretty well after you know a couple minutes of grab ass don't they yeah they do they do settle they're good buddies i've got some pretty good shots of them in the back seat honked out on each other yeah Yeah. they're they're pretty tight well um this is a chucker hunt designed for an elk hunter it really is that country up there is more vertical than it is horizontal um how did you get it yeah you know where were you finding birds and, and what were they doing so right now it seems like the birds are so the first part of the season it was water now we've had some rain it's scattered the birds so they're they seem here's here's the similarities in elk hunting with chucker hunting the harder steeper deeper farther away from a road typically the more birds you're going to find and it's the same with elk hunting so when it gets later in the season um you're you're starting to look on your whatever you use onyx or whatever mapping program and this is how I find elk. I look for the harder places to get into. The Scott knows we're going, you know, 1,500 feet up there, and that's where the birds are going to be, and it's the same thing with, with elk. So um, that's kind of this this spot in this area is I didn't see a shotgun shell from this season anywhere on this uh, six-and-a-half-hour hunt. So that says something right there. So... I may have been the first person to see these birds this year. You know what's fascinating about all that, and, and I'm and I did it too down in that other place where I was when you called. Um, I drove roads that I'd never had the nerve to drive this time of year because the weather was so good. Did you um, did you have any problems with moisture up there? I think we'd had rain a couple days before, yeah. so we kind of and anything and where we hunt chuckers. If you get any bit of rain, um, the roads turn to slop. Yeah. And it gets a little sketchy. So, but we just had enough rain where I got the uh, gumbo on the tires and made a mess of the truck, but I wasn't really worried about sliding off the, and luckily it was pretty flat, flat road that went out to this area. Yeah. But it, it was mostly boot leather hunting. There wasn't a lot of, 
you know, unless you have a side-by-side or a quad, there was a lot of roads I wouldn't even think about taking a truck. Yeah, I think I was on one of those down there. Well, so you got a uh, a pointing dog, and she's running big. Uh, what was the highlight of your hunt that that time? So we um, we had a uh, actually it wasn't that day; it was the next day. I she got birdie on top of this little flat top ridge, and it was pretty rocky rim rocky on both sides and it was like are the birds i know they were there are they on the left side or the north side or the south side of this little peninsula well so i'm just you know follow the dog with the follow the hunter with the long nose as we say and she kind of started heading over to the north side and i got in position right there and poked my head over the rim rock and the covey busted and i managed to hit one and it was probably 50 feet down the hill, and I saw it flopping, and I took my eye off her for a minute to look at it, maybe get another shot at another bird. And anyway, so she, the normal is after I shoot, she comes back and looks at me and gives me the look, right? So I finally got to say, dead bird, hunt him up, you know, fetch it up. Anyway, she didn't see it go down, so I had to drop off the hill a ways to help her get lined out on it. And I got about to where I saw the bird drop, and I'm telling her, you know, dead bird, dead bird. And she snooped around, and then she just kept going down the hill, down the hill, out of sight. And I'm like, well, you never know. Yes. And about three minutes later, she's out of sight, and I'm just about ready to buzz her back. And I see her coming back with that bird in her mouth. So that bird was probably 200 feet down the ridge, and she had tracked it, and it was still alive. So it'd run off. It, I guess my shooting wasn't as good as I'd hoped. I can echo that. I'm going to tell you about my trucker hunt that turned into a quail hunt because I was tired of those inclines. You know, everybody jokes about it, but it's true. You know, if you have one leg that's longer than the other and you're walking in the right direction, trucker hunting is perfect for you. Yes. But I was seeing nothing up where I was, and I'm going to show you those spots so you can cross them off the list. But uh, then I was uh, talking with uh, the daughter, the granddaughter of the owner of one of the ranches that we both know out there. And um, and while talking to her, I'm looking for spots. And this is actually, the this is serendipity times two. So I part ways with her. She says, yeah, so-and-so creek up there might be good, blah, blah, blah. And so I'm driving up there, and I'm, I've got my mobile mapping app, and I'm thinking, I can't read this and drive. That would be wrong. So I swung over, pulled into a little pullout, if you will. And um, the first thing I see before I look at the map is a, a herd of pronghorns. Then I look down, and there's a gate. And it's that classic BLM gate, and it says, please close gate. And I'm thinking, that's a sign, and then that's a sign, literally. And then I look up, and there is a big green patch. And it winds down out of that canyon, and it just keeps meandering almost all the way down to the road. And I'm thinking, you know, I've, I've never been there. That might be worth a look because we've had you know except for the last week or so we've had drought conditions and so if you can find moisture you're probably going to be uh you know a step ahead i went up there and i um i hunted hard and uh 
and had a good day that day on quail in a beautiful creek bottom that had everything that you would want. It had, it had enough boulders. It had a lot of head high sagebrush. It had cattails in the moist soil. It had willow trees. It even had a few junipers every once in a while. And it had one giant covey. Of course, the first time I saw it was when Flick was around the corner from me pointing it and I was still 150 yards away. I had to duck and then shoot in self-defense when that covey got up. It sounded like a jet plane. So we hunted singles the rest of that, that afternoon, which was also wonderful. The next day I did something I've not done for two years, and that's I went back to the same spot. And sure enough, that covey got up again, out of range. Flick pointed it again, out of range. And we chased singles. This time, instead of them all going downhill, they all went uphill. This is all just to explain that on the one decent shot I got, um, which I'll tell you about. Flick slams a point again around another rocky point. I see him on the map. I walk up the hill all the way. I'm looking still for him up there. And then the bird gets up because they're both five yards downhill from me in the cover. I take a wild shot at that bird. Thought I missed. We hunted the rest of the way. But the lesson in all of this, and and I and we learned this. I th- no, I learned this the day before you showed up at a place we went to last year. Circle around, come back through that spot, and sure enough, flicks down there messing with something. I'm think thinking he's eating something, and of course I don't need that. Then I look at it, and it looks just like the bird that got away. It had done exactly what you had happen. That bird died over the hill and rolled all the way down into the dry creek bottom that we were walking through on the way back. So from now on, I I now know how to mark waypoints on my GPS. Mm -hmm. If I think there's a bird, I'm going to mark it. I'm going to come back to it because it happened again later in the willows. The same thing. And we'll have more on that and other topics, including a few more lessons from each of us. Well, at least I hope they're lessons and of value to you coming up. But first, a few messages that pay the bills around here, including the newest opportunity for you to support the Upland Nation podcast. That's our Patreon page, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Upland Nation. Yeah, if you think what we're doing here at the podcast is of value to you and others, there's now a new level of support. Pretty easy to get into, and I hope you will consider it at patreon.com slash Upland Nation. We still got some more uh, information from you and your last hunting trip, as well as the Upland Nation puzzler and the prize, and more from my friend Tom Jenkins about chucker hunting uh, from a big game hunter's perspective. But first, let me remind you that this part of the podcast is brought to you by happyjackinc.com. Have you seen any of their videos yet? Well, go to the YouTube page, my YouTube page, and take a look at some of the information on tailgate exams and how to, you know, how to figure out how to take care of your dog better in the field. Because if he breaks down, 
Well, it's like your truck breaking down in the middle of nowhere. You are S-O-L. Instead, happyjackinc.com is where you find all the products that will help you avoid a trip to the veterinarian in many cases from seal and heal and insect uh, and insecticides of various sorts, you know, flea and tick remedies, that sort of thing, plus pad coat. If your dog is working hard on rough terrain, pad coat is your go-to preventive. Hey, and guess what showed up in my driveway just yesterday? My new, new, new Rufflin kennel and a few other accessories from them. And that's what I want to talk about today. Go to rufflandkennels.com, R-U-F-F, landkennels.com. Take a look at all the accessories and useful products you can attach to, put on top of, set next to your Rufland kennel. You know, they were the originators of the single-piece roto-molded dog crate. Still the best, still the most convenient. I love all sorts of things about them, but in particular, the, the fact that you can open the door from either direction so that if you're a righty or a lefty or, or depending on where your crate is, you can put that door so that it will open to your convenience. Learn more at roughlandkennels.com. Um, enough about my hunt because I'm going to brag about that later as well. Um, you took me to a spot that I'd never been to. I'd driven by for 25 years because I fished a lake that no longer exists. How many people could say that? Yeah. Uh, um, only in Oregon. Oh yeah. It, the desert part of Oregon, yeah. by the way, everybody, you know, there's two sides, there's a left side and yeah, it's that way as well. And then there's the dry side where we all live. Um, let's talk a little bit about that. You, how did you find that place? So here again, it comes back to, um, I kind of like to find those out of the way places. And I think like anything like elk, you kind of learn the habitat they like the same with chuckers. So there's certain cues that you, you do for chuckers. So um, it's, you got to have water, got to have food. And, you know, obviously cheatgrass is part of that, but that's not as important always in, as what we make it out to be. And it seems to be steep, deep in rocks. Yeah. So, um, and, and as far away from the road as you can get, the harder it is to get there. This one's not like that. Well, Because <laughs> you it, can drive right by it on a, yeah. so to speak, gravel pretty good gravel road yep, yep but to look at it it just doesn't look like it's gonna have birds or water there and i honestly don't know where the water is there but there's water there somewhere there you know my guess and i think i might have actually seen something that looked like a guzzler on the map but i i never confirmed that i'll i'll dig that out later yeah. tonight but you know it's got some things that that i i you know one one of the many other reasons i wouldn't hunt it normally is there's a lot of juniper trees up on that slope there is a pyre yep. and and only once before have i ever found birds that close to that many i mean it's a forest the top of that ridge is a forest of junipers yeah 
the birds were not in that, but you've seen them in there I, as well. I think they they'll pressure they get pressured into that yeah. kind of habitat, but they don't normally like to live in that, and we don't normally hunt it because you can't shoot them when they flush. But I have jumped birds maybe a half a dozen times yeah. in, in some kind of a juniper situation, but never could get a shot because they're flying on they always want to fly out the other side of the tree right of course they do i mean it's just like everything else they want something in between you and them yeah if i want to go grouse something I'll go yeah, yeah exactly not, not chuckers no but but it was fascinating you 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 could drive to the to the base of the slope yeah but you got to be half crazy to walk from there and that's i mean but luckily others have pioneered that for you and me yeah and you you actually walked it once before didn't you yeah so i so my youngest son christian and his buddy justin or mike he's got the bug bad so he's got his own wire hair now and uh cade i think cade is two years old and they're every weekend they're always out exploring new spots um so um so i kind of found it and now they've (laughs) They've worked that area over pretty good, so I kind of. But it's a young man's sport. It is. We're we're probably not really the um, the demographic for most chucker hunters, but that's okay. We're still doing it, and that's what matters. Yep. And and we are lucky that we have people like Christian who are out there yeah. doing all the heavy lifting for us on the yeah. scouting side. Yeah. But it is. <clears throat> I, I think I know how to do this now. You know, if you're going down a grade, you know, the sign on the highway will have 6% or 8% or something like that. This is about 50%, wasn't it? Yeah. This is probably a 45 degree slope. Yeah. It was a wicked slope. With a lot of grass and a lot of rocks that roll out from under your feet. You spend more time looking at where you're going. Thank God for your your whatever Garmin or whatever yeah. your GPS caller because you cannot watch your dog. You have to watch where you're going. No, and and, that, and I'll tell you that's that's a perfect example of why you want one of those. Yeah. Um, I just wrote something about that. If you're going to buy a pointing dog, buy a GPS to go along with it. Yeah. They ought to be a package deal. But this one, it, it was in many ways classic. There was we we didn't know where the water was, but there was probably some up that crack that we yeah. turned around yeah, at. But it was a wicked slope. I mean, a wicked steep slope and pretty much straight up. It's not like you could go back and forth or there there no no trail. There's nothing like that. Just pretty much straight up. Um, a lot of bunch grass, but enough cheek grass. And, and this season in particular, I'm noticing that if you're going to find birds, there's a lot of cheek grass. Yeah. It, it is um they're knocking because i uh that's why i was doing quail the next trip over there the stuff that i visited for chuckers didn't have enough feed i mean it was it had cheat grass all over but not in the quantities that would sustain a small covey let alone a whole bunch of coveys so we're clomping our way over these things and side hilling once we got to the right elevation which was right below the the juniper trees what was the elevation up there i think we were right there around 5500 somewhere it was really high and and the climb was probably 400 feet uh it's about 600 oh to where we started hunting yeah took us about a half hour of us old guys yeah poking up there 
yeah, it was a, it was, um, it was a workout. And then once you get up there and, and luckily you took the last hundred feet by yourself and I stayed down because a lot of times, and, and I'm doing more and more of this, not just because I can't make that climb, but because if, if you're above me or I'm above you, then the birds when they get up might come my way yeah you're better off being the lower hunter um and even if you can keep your dog up above you and you get some flushes fly down and around which you did make an awesome yes thank you ass shot that was like wow i'm gonna tell everybody After about that yeah, yeah that's right you you slowed him down for yeah, me I, yeah, I made him. you know and there's another bonus to all of that and that is you know we joke about it but it's absolutely true and i missed and it's true with those valley quail as well i miss a lot of those quail on that the last hunt because the highest they get is your shoulder height yeah and if you're uh, above them that means you're shooting down dr at a dramatic angle which makes chucker tough. it's it's really tough and so if you're the downhill guy on that sometimes it is a great pass shoot and and you 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 did somehow those birds got up and i don't know if ruby found them or they just got up wild um do you remember i can't remember i couldn't see it i was probably we panting had a lot of wild flesh yeah going on. yeah i mean that's just that's part of chucker hunting um which brings up another thing i look for it's not one thing to have the right habitat but it's to have that tall enough grass and cover where the birds can't see you or your dog so they'll hold but if you've got a lot of overgrazing or you know a drought year like this where the grass is shorter so i purposely look for those areas that have the, the cattle haven't been in there or not as heavy and the grass the covers higher so my dog can get in closer and keep them locked down instead of the birds wild flushing because if yeah. maybe sees them running in front of her it's game over so she's she's not trained to that level to uh, watch birds run away from her and you know most dogs won't be in that situation because they'll have experienced it once or twice during the day and then they'll say to hell with it yeah i think they'll just say no i want to go get them yeah. But that was uh, that was an epic, epic situation, and I, I will, I will own. I'm not bragging because I have nothing to brag about here. But somehow those birds got up. You warned them away from you, <laughs> and about then I was in the middle of one of those. You know, if you know this country, you know there's every fifty or hundred yards there's this. It's like somebody just poured a bunch of boulders out yeah and it's a strip it starts at the top it goes all the way to the bottom i was in the middle of one of those yeah. so i look up and immediately when i look up there goes my balance and i lose one foot and then there goes the other foot i'm on my knees balanced on two boulders yep. when that bird gets within as close a range as he'll get i shoot it like i'm on downton abbey and it's a driven pheasant yep. and it it dies stone dead i mean you could see the bird fold his wings and you know like in a cartoon the little crosses go over their eyes yeah i'd have sworn that's what i saw there <laughs> and he dropped maybe a hundred yards farther down the hill luckily we found it eventually with a little bit of help from my dog but not a whole bunch and it was just it was a classic chucker hunt in itself it was the microcosm of how all this works yeah. get ready to shoot when you're falling down and if you shoot before you hit the ground, you're lucky. Yep. So the practice for a chucker hunt is stand on one leg. Yeah, yeah. On a bowling ball on yep. one leg. Yep. And then get a couple shots off. Absolutely. 
You know, the other thing I just uh, just wrote about was stealth, and I want to talk about another um, another day in another spot. When you go down that place and you turn east, and then you go past David's Ranch, and you keep going, you remember that yep. morning there. Yep. Um, again, another steep slope, not not near as steep and not steer as near as high, but we were doing the same thing and oh, coincidentally you were at the top again yeah, walking we walking yeah and i appreciate it by the way my feet appreciate my my knees see i got worse knees than you so i can get away with that um but you know i wrote about stealth recently and um and this is a perfect example we're we're going and and flick hits a point and it's and it was helpful to me in a lot of ways number one i could see him number two the cover was pretty good so he's got his he's pointing uphill his tail's quivering a little bit and he's looking over like this to me trying you know trying to catch me out of the corner of his eye and so i see all this but you're up there another 100 feet and 25 or 30 yards before that covey but you're at that covey level and you're watching her your dog and uh and not looking at me and for once in my life i didn't yell and scream or anything and it was just by sheer default but i knew better than to do anything worse than that too and eventually you got to about where those birds were and i don't know if she, she pushed them up or i think they saw me actually I probably there. yeah so they got up in the air and again one shot but it really wasn't one shot and who out there hasn't pulled the trigger and looked at their partner and said good shot not realizing you both pulled the trigger at the very same moment yeah 15 birds and we both picked yeah we picked the same dang bird and it luckily it went down and went down hard yeah. um but if I had yelled at you before you got close enough, those birds wouldn't have been there. No, we're what almost two months into the season. Yeah, and I've learned this years ago that you know um, I don't personally use a whistle. Yeah, I do not yell for my dog. I use my tone. Yeah, I want to recall her on my uh, I can say Garmin. Yeah, and so I use tone on her. I've trained her to come back to recall because I've done it many times. I've yelled, "Hey, come." You know, get a drink, whatever, come back, and then a bird's flush a hundred yards off just at my voice. So yeah, you it's a little bit like elk hunting. You have to be stealthy with these birds once they get some pressure on, because just a car door slamming, I've heard that with pheasant. Oh yeah, absolutely true. Wow. So and yeah, it's a little bit of uh, you've got to figure out a communication signal with your partner. Yeah. On that, if there's you know. You need to communicate by hand signals. Yeah. That, what else are you going to do? Yeah. I mean, really. Yeah. Um, if I could whistle better, it might work, but I can't whistle, so yeah. that's out. But uh, all those things are critical, and, and um, you know, this will be an online story for Gun Dog Magazine, so watch for it in there. There's probably 25 tips like that in there that I've come up with over the years and stolen from people like you, Tom. But it, even getting down to the being stealthy about how you walk, you know, it's hard to do on those grease bowling balls on a chucker hunt quite often, but, but there are ways to do it, and... Um, and you as a big game hunter you you figured that out a long time ago didn't you yeah i'm a i'm a bow hunter yeah so we got to get close so i've you learn how to be 
Charcoal hunting is probably not as, quote, stealthy, and I don't have to worry about scent. Yeah. Because with big game hunting, it's all about which ways the wind. But there's a wind factor with dog hunting, right? Yeah. So, and I experienced that last weekend. Half of that hunt, like typical, you have the wind at your back. So we're busting more birds because I can see her scent tracking. Yeah. And all of a sudden, she runs right into the covey because the wind's at her back. So, yeah part of the game you know um our friend al Godori in montana didn't teach me this another pro guide in montana did a few years back and it it's something that i'm hope to be writing about again soon and that is if you if you're in the if you're in the kind of terrain where you can do it um walk in a big circle from your truck yeah if you go out in a big circle it doesn't matter which direction Three quarters of the time, the wind is almost okay for yep. you. There's only one quadrant where it's at your dog's back. Yep. Sometimes that works in chucker country. And yeah. Sometimes it doesn't because the country kind of dictates yeah, exactly. which way you go. Because yeah. You can't take a straight line and just decide to hunt that because there may be three canyons you're going to. You don't give up altitude unless you have to in chucker hunting. Yeah, and I think we'll we'll close on that one because I uh, the the last spot we found birds. You know, we were sitting there admiring the view. We sat down on a couple rocks in that last canyon there as we were turning around from that place above the former lake. Um, and uh, right before we'd done that, Flick had been ninety about ninety yards below me on point. And I looked at that and I thought I, I might might be able to get there in time. But of course not. I didn't I I did not want to go all the way down there and then come all the way back up, but he made it easy on me because the birds flew wild anyway. Yeah, and that's that's a problem sometimes when they get too far out there, even though they're gonna hold for a while. What took her sixty seconds to get there takes us five minutes to and that's if it's downhill. Uh, just yeah any each just chucker country period yeah. you just cannot move fast or you're going to get hurt you know what i'm going to do uh more often if i can remember it is if if we're getting to the spot you know we've been struggling up the hill sweating and panting and dealing you know four you know two hands and two legs trying to get up over this stuff that's fine until we get close enough to the spot where we think those birds really are. I'm going to keep my dog at heel if I can. Yeah. And I, I kind of do that with her when I, she's getting, we're in a spot. I know there's birds. I'll, I'll buzz her and get her back close to me. Yeah. I won't keep her maybe right at heel, but I'll keep her tight in. Yeah. And, and then let her because so just one last story. So our, my first morning I've got uh, the new Garmin 200 and I'm still kind of learning this thing. And I was about ready the first two hours to throw it off of the ridge. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because it was, I'm watching my dog, and it's saying she's 100 yards behind me, and she's 100 yards in front of me. And I'm like, what is going on? And I've reset it three times. I did the compass, you know, home the compass out, and I could not figure out. So finally we stopped for lunch, and I... Sorry, put my glasses on and started going through the settings on this thing. And I have it set, I think 2.5 seconds is the fastest you can 
communicate back and forth and that's what i keep it on and i saw 2.5 without my glasses but i didn't see it said 2.5 minutes <laughs> so it was only updating every two and a half minutes so by she was in a different position in yeah. two and a half minutes but she went on point and i'm walking 180 degrees in the wrong direction from where she's at and she's 200 yards away and i'm going in the wrong direction yeah i'm um, trying to get to her and not realizing you know so that was a little bit frustrating so a know, lesson know your equipment a lesson to be learned and uh, man uh, two and a half minutes on a bird hunt is is uh is a lifetime yeah but, and uh, uh don't throw a thousand dollar no held over a cliff so no that, in that fact did stop me from doing and you said you did say, and I learned that the hard way by not calibrating the compass in that thing. Uh, that's what, yeah. I was not sure what was going on, but and, something new that day. And you know, just FYI, you don't have to be outside to calibrate that compass. Oh, really? It's all internal. I've done it in the house. Yeah. So, um, so do it frequently, everybody, and uh, and you'll save yourself maybe a an uphill climb once in a while. Well, Tom Jenkins. Um, this is kind of fun. It's kind of odd to have microphones in between us. And the next time we do it, we won't. Yeah. We'll have a couple beers and a table probably instead. But in the meanwhile, it's fun to talk to you about hunts that I haven't been on with you and then hunts that I have been on with you. So thanks for being part of the Upland Nation podcast. Good. We got another one coming up next month, a new one for you. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> uh, snake land. <laughs> yeah, that's, uh, what we can tell everyone, we're, we're looking at the Snake River, and uh, and that's about as close as you'll get to it. Well, they call it hell for a reason. Yeah, that's right. Well, until then, and I'll see you between them. Yeah. Then. Yep. So, Sounds good, Scott. Thanks, thanks a lot. All right. And this part of the show is brought to you in part by Dr. Tim's Natural Performance Dog Food. D-R-T-I-M-S dot com. Learn all about where he sources his ingredients, why there are so many different types of fat in a good dog food, and learn about the things that should not be in your dog's food. It's all at dr. T-I-M-S dot com. Free delivery, 30% off your first order. Use the code UplandNation. Thank you so much, Dr. Tim Hunt, for supporting us for so long. Now, I mentioned earlier that Tom had been borrowing one of my guns, trying to figure out what he needs to use next. I've already told him that when it is time to buy a new one, he should check in with my friends Dave Fiedler and Vandy Fiedler, at Mid-Valley Clays and Shooting School, they have a special relationship with all the major manufacturers. Now, what that means to you is that they can get the stuff that nobody else can get. If you're searching for a hard-to-find shotgun, go to midvalleyclays.com, take a look at what they have, call Dave, he'll personally walk you through the shopping process and ensure that you're getting the right gun for you. Now, if you're looking for a Browning Maxxis II, they have a lot of the new models in stock right now. Learn all about it from a guy who competes at the highest levels of sporting clay shooting. Visit Dave Fiedler at midvalleyclays.com.
and I promised you a prize if you answer this question correctly by the end of the month. Well, any of the questions I'm asking. In the Upland Nation Puzzler Quiz, the end of November is when I will award a Chief Upland customizable technical Upland vest to somebody out there. If you message me on Facebook with the correct answer to this, among all the other questions I've been asking, name one of the national hunting dog training and testing organizations that you could join if you really wanted to, if you were so inclined. Name one of the national hunting dog training and testing organizations. Go to the Upland Nation Facebook page or the Wing Shooting USA Facebook page, either one. I check them all. If you message me there, you're entered to win at the end of the month. And I asked you, speaking of Facebook, uh, how your last hunt went. And congratulations to all of you who did, did the good deed and took somebody who doesn't get to go very often. Cedar Woods Yara. Yeah, I think I recognize, I think we're distantly related, at least from a training standpoint, with a Cedar Woods dog. Cedar Woods Yara said, spent four days chasing chuckers and huns. We finally harvested our first wild upland bird. Congratulations. Brett Cochran says, got a couple of the kids out chasing chucker. Woo, that must have been something. Tried out a new spot, didn't locate birds until the kids were all ready to hike out. They put in five or six miles, but I told them to tell their class at school they hiked 10. You must be a fisherman too. Nick uh, says he had a great weekend. His daughter had her first youth hunt, giant smiles, and hanging tongues all around. Yeah, I'm looking at the tailgate shot. Two good-looking short hairs and some harvested chuckers. Way to go, everybody in the Spurlock household. Keep up the good work. Good job, everybody. Now, finally, Dan Linson probably has the best answer to how'd your weekend go. He said, wasn't long enough. Yeah, I know the feeling. I feel your pain. Maybe everybody else does too. Thanks a lot, Dan, for your editorial comment. Sure appreciate it. That part of the show is brought to you by FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. New material every week to help you find places to hunt, train, and care for your dog. This week, I talk about the golden moment for giving commands and corrections and praise. If you want to know what I'm talking about, go to FindBirdHuntingSpots.com. And on that note, I will thank you for listening. Thank you, Tom Jenkins, for being my guest here in the studio, as well as on several hunting trips every season. Sure appreciate your insights and your friendship. Yeah, and everybody who listens. Listen, it wouldn't be a podcast without you, so please tell your friends, leave a five-star review if you are so inclined, wherever you subscribe to your podcast. Thank you if you are a Patreon patron. Yeah, every little bit helps, and I appreciate that support as well. Until I talk with you next time here at the Upland Nation podcast, I'm Scott Linden. I'll see you in the field.